Morning. morning. You guys hear me pretty good? Awesome, awesome. Well, before we dive straight in and, and read our scripture and pray, I do want to give some thanks to God. So first, give an honor to God, to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Holy Spirit who sits and dwelled on each one of us. I um, want to say thank you to Pastor, Pastor Alex, for another opportunity to come here. It's been a few months now since I've seen the beautiful faces of Brigham City Bible, but I am certainly happy to be back. I'm grateful to have my family with me this time and, and have one on the way. That's why we're still wearing masks. We're being extra careful, uh, you know, two and a half weeks before the birth, just a little extra precaution there. But I um, want to say thank you also to you all um, for inviting me back. That either means that um, I didn't mess up that bad last time or I messed up so bad that <laughs> I need another chance to get it right. Um, and so as we talk about this season of Thanksgiving, as Pastor has prayed and as, as many have said, as we come into the season and we want to make sure that we are thankful for Christ and thankful for our salvation. And then we come into Christmas. We put our Christmas tree up yesterday. Uh, Angel couldn't, I couldn't hold Angel back anymore. <laughs> we had to, to put up the Christmas tree and decorations. But we remember that Christ is who we celebrate. And I think this is a timely passage that the Holy Spirit has put on my heart from John chapter 8. Um, and the title of this message is, We Must Preach This Offensive Good News, The Best News Ever. Um, if you will stand with me for the reading of God's Word, I will read, and then I will pray, and then I will deliver to you what God has given to me. Um, I'm going to actually start at verse 48, John chapter 8, verse 48, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Okay? When you get there, say amen. amen. Okay, that's two people, all right? When you get there, say amen. amen. All right, that's it, that's it. All right, here we go. All right, John chapter 8, starting at verse 48. I'll read from the English Standard Version of it. If you have a Bible in your hand, your words will be similar, and it is the Word of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste, never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But you do not know him. Oh, sorry. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, 
and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for the gospel of John and for the whole Bible, in particular, that we might know you. My prayer today, God, is that you would be glorified in this message. Be glorified in the preaching of this message and be glorified in the hearing and doing of this message. God, if there are those among us who are struggling with our faith right now, who are struggling to obey your word, God, I pray that you would go to work as you already have been through your Holy Spirit, to move us closer to you, to move us closer to obedience so that we might glorify you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I remember when I was in elementary, we had a teacher named Miss Solomon. And Miss Solomon was the meanest teacher in the whole school. (laughs) And as I was going from fourth to fifth grade, All I wanted was not to have Miss Solomon as a teacher. (laughs) And sure enough, with my luck, I got Miss Solomon. (laughs) Um, But Miss Solomon was assigned to all of the um, honor students. So they assigned the students who did well in school to Miss Solomon's class. But sure enough, when I got into her class, I found out that the legend was true. She was mean. (laughs) Miss Solomon was so mean that even some of the parents were afraid of Miss Solomon. She was one of those teachers that you did not mess with. She wasn't afraid to say what needed to be said to set her class in order. But what I also found out about Miss Solomon was that she got the best out of her students. While people may not have liked her, they respected her. And the students obeyed her, and she progressed us very far in our academic understanding that year. Even more than that, though, when I went on to sixth grade, I I lived with my grandmother, and she wasn't always able to go to the school for all of the stuff and get me registered. And, and in our school, you had to be registered for honors classes. Um, and I found that out on day one. <laughs> and I said, oh, goodness, I'm probably not going to be in honors classes then, although I wanted to. But when I got there, I found out it was Miss Solomon who went out of her way to call the school and make sure that I got registered for honor cl- honors classes. See, see, as Christians, we can be so afraid of people saying that we are mean. When we share the gospel, we can overcompensate because we're afraid we might hurt someone's feelings. The problem for us is that if we preach the full gospel, it will be offensive to unbelievers. So we have a choice. Preach the whole gospel and risk offending people or sugarcoat the gospel, tweak it just a little bit so that it's not so offensive. Well, like Miss Solomon, we will not be judged for whether or not we offend people, but whether or not we obey Christ and love people by sharing the full gospel with them. So that is especially true of the gospel. And so that's why the title of this message is we must preach this full gospel, even though it's offensive. Um, but but. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying offend, be offensive on purpose. I'm not saying that the way you share the gospel should be offensive. That is, the way that we talk, 
the words that we choose, how we treat people, should never be purposely offensive. That's where our presentation must differ a little bit from Miss Solomon. Miss Solomon didn't care what people thought. <laughs> she was mean and she knew it. She may have even been proud of it. We are called to speak the truth in love. What is offensive is not how we present the gospel. The content of the gospel is offensive to a world who refuses to believe in Jesus Christ of the Bible. So true Christians, we are called to preach this good news. That's what we see Jesus doing over and go over again in the Gospel of John, particularly here in chapter 8. This point is highlighted as John lets us in on a conversation between Jesus and some Jews who were listening to him. And there's, and there's two main points I want to highlight, and I want to pit them against each other um, from this passage. First of all, the world will insist that there is salvation apart from Christ, and we must refute them. And then secondly, Jesus Christ insists that he is the only way to heaven, and we must confirm him. So first, let's see how the world sees Christ. And when I say the world, I want to be clear. I'm using the world in the, in the way much of the Bible uses the world. Those who don't believe and will never come to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what I say when I mean the world. Um, as you preach the gospel, the good news, there will be some who accept and praise God for people, whether they're seven or 70, who come to accept Jesus Christ through the faithful preaching of the church. But there will be others who I will call the world who will never accept this gospel. And there's three things that we see in this passage in John chapter 8 that, will, that they will do to insist that there is salvation apart from Christ. First, the world will tell you that there is nothing in you that deserves salvation. And then secondly, the world will tell you that there is something about them that deserves salvation. And finally, the world would rather persecute you than to accept the gift of salvation that you offer in Jesus Christ. So let, let's look at the first way in verse 48. The people reject the gospel by attacking Jesus. In verse 48, they say that Jesus is a Samaritan and that he has a demon. A couple points to note here. First of all, these people are called Jews and Usually when you look in, the, in John and in the rest, the Jews are the religious leaders who rejected Jesus. But actually, this case is a little bit different. In verse 30, let me read from verse 30. It says Jesus was talking in the temple, and as he, said these, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Who are these people who believed in him? Well, verse 31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So these Jews are the ones who believed what Jesus was saying. And Jesus starts a new conversation with them. So, so the question is, how did they go from believing in verse 30 to now they're tearing Jesus down in verse 48? Well, it started when Jesus offered them freedom in verse 32. Verse 31, the end of verse 31 to verse 32, Jesus says, If you abide in my word... You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So they're so offended by this suggestion that they need to be freed 
that they turn on Jesus and they call him a Samaritan. And a Samaritan for us, maybe we think it's someone from Samaria or whatever, but the implication is you don't even know who your daddy is. They knew that Jesus was raised by Joseph, who was not his biological father. The story had gotten around. So likely when they call him a Samaritan, they're saying, how are you going to offer us freedom? And your dad isn't even really a Jew. So they're saying there's something about Jesus that disqualifies him from offering them salvation. And, and that's what the world will say to us when we share this gospel. But it'll sound different. What they will say is, eh, you know, there's so many people in the church that aren't even really good people. <laughs> they gossip. They don't even like to help people. There's people that don't believe that help more than the people in the church. And we hear stuff like this, and it's tempting to be like, hey, man, I'll tell you about this one person at my church, right? It's tempting for us to jump on that bandwagon, but we've got to be careful because really they're talking about you. <laughs> they're talking about me. They're saying basically, you're a church person. You're inviting me to church, but church people aren't good people. How can they be offering salvation if they're not even good people themselves? And I like to use the anecdote that my home pastor in Texas always uses. He says, criticizing sinners in the church would be like going to a hospital and saying, what are all these sick people doing here? <laughs> you see, the difference between the people in the church and the people in the world is not that we don't sin. The problem is that we're sick and we know we need help. <laughs> we are here to get the only help that is offered for our sickness, the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And so what we should respond is saying, yes, there are many sinners in the church, but they are seeking the one who can save them from their sins. Are you seeking the one who can save you from your sins? So, so we must preach this gospel, even though it can be offensive. And, and, and the world will try to claim that salvation apart from Christ is available because of your flaws or because of the flaws of the churches. But if they don't do that, they will point at something about themselves that deserves salvation. Notice in verse 53, the Jews respond to Jesus' offer of eternal life. They say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Jesus just offered them eternal life to live forever, to be away from this world of sickness and sin. And their response to him is, wait, aren't we good enough already? <laughs> You're saying there's something outside of us that we need to be saved? And that's the same response we'll get today from the world. But again, it'll sound a little bit different. It'll be cloaked. They'll say something like, what about all those good people who never hear the gospel? But what about all those people who don't come? What about Gandhi or the Dalai Lama or all those Buddhists who are so peaceful or the Hindus who are so content or the Muslims who pray five times a day? And this seems like a very modest statement, but it's actually cloaked arrogance because they don't necessarily care about Gandhi. <laughs> what they're really saying is, if there are some people who can be saved apart from Christ based on their good works, then maybe I can be saved apart from Christ 
based on some scale that God has that says my good outweighs my bad. If the Dalai Lama is good enough, maybe I can be good enough. And honestly, there's many people who call themselves Christians who feel this way. Even genuine Christians sometimes struggle with this. What about all those good people? But here's what helps me. Ask yourself the question, do you need a Savior? That's what's at hand here. When you say that someone is a good person apart, that gets heaven apart from Christ, what you're really saying is they don't need a Savior. As Christians, we're required to refute this argument. We must declare what Jesus declares, that every person besides Christ who's ever lived needs a Savior. Even Gandhi. And then once you declare that, tell them, but this is not about Gandhi. This is about you. This holiday season, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, you tell them, I don't have to judge Gandhi. I don't have to judge Muhammad. I don't have to judge anyone because I don't have a heaven or a hell to put them in. But I've been commanded to preach this gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am offering you what God gave me, a Savior who will give you eternal life. If you are here today and you have not accepted the offer to make Jesus Christ your Savior, this is for you. There is salvation in no other name. There is no way you can work enough, you can't pray enough, you can't have enough peace to earn this salvation. The salvation that we're offering is through Jesus Christ. And he gives it to you because he loves you. Not because of your parents, not because of your grandparents, but because of him. He's a good, good savior. And he loves you and he's offering you this salvation. I, I, I read about a story of this gang member. He got caught up in a gang at an early age. He lived in a bad neighborhood. And throughout his time in this gang, he had killed many people. He had beat up many people. He had caused a lot of harm. But when he was caught and he was in jail and the detectives had him, his mother called and begged them to release him, to have mercy on him. And her argument was, he's really a good person. I know all these things he did, but he's a good person. And in the same way, if you watch international news, Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden, who we consider public enemy number one, when they were killed, they had hundreds and thousands of people lining up to pay their respects for them. So you might say to me, yeah, but not everybody is a gang member of Osama bin Laden. So you can't compare what they did to what average people have done. And I, I listened in on, on um, Pastor Alex's sermon a bit last week, and he talked about a little bit of urine <laughs> in the lemonade. Um, and, and so in the same way, God sees our little bit of sin is just as deserving of hell as terrorism or killing a lot of people as a gang member. That's what's offensive about this gospel. When we think about these murderers, that's what God thinks about any sin. It's worthy of eternal condemnation unless you accept the free gift that he's offering through Jesus Christ. So, so we must refute the world when they point out our flaws and when they point out their own qualities. 
as reasons that they can get salvation apart from Christ. But then when you do this, when you preach the gospel this season, there will be some that accept, but there will be others that would rather persecute you than to accept Christ because you represent something that's offensive to them. We are living in a time of cancel culture. Amen? We are living in the times of cancel culture. Expressing an opinion that is unpopular with the public, no matter if you're a comedian or a pastor or a politician, or even if you're a children's book, will cause people to want to have you fired and removed from the public sphere. They will want to isolate you. Well, I've got news for you. (laughs) Cancel culture did not begin in 2020. It did not begin five years ago. Cancel culture is something that's embedded in our sinful DNA. And it started since the beginning. Remember Cain canceled Abel because God liked Abel's gift more than him. And Cain didn't like that, so he killed Abel. Since the beginning, we've had this. And honestly, the things that we face today, somebody is saying something mean on Twitter, usually, right? (laughs) Or on Facebook or whatever it is. It's nothing compared to the most what people have faced throughout history um, when it comes to being attacked for unpopular opinions. And nobody has faced that more than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at what verse 48 and verse 52 says. They accused him of having a demon. They said, now we know you have a demon. How dare you say that there's salvation only through Jesus Christ? Then, verse 59, the climax of the tension. Jesus has been kind of stirring them, poking the bear, they call it, right? He's been poking them and getting them more and more mad. And then finally, in verse 59, they pick up stones to throw at him. That's what the world thinks. Many in the world would rather silence or destroy those who preach the gospel than to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we are called to pick up our cross and to follow our Savior no matter what. But with that said, let's not give them an excuse. (laughs) Let's not be the reason that they give for why they don't. We We can confess that Jesus is the answer, but the question for us is, are we displaying the glory of Jesus Christ so that people will want to know this Jesus that we believe in? When people are looking for peace, Do they see the peace of Jesus Christ in you? When people are looking for wisdom, have we spent enough time in prayer and meditation that they can see the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in us? When people are looking for devout dedication to God, are we modeling that for our children, for our family members? Are we modeling that dedication to God? So that's how the world sees Jesus. He's offensive to a world that wants to be accepted on their own. But how does Jesus present himself? This passage is a conversation, and you can count how many times there's a said in there. There's several. So it's a conversation between the Jews representing the worldview and Jesus representing himself. So Jesus insists that he is the only way of heaven, only way to heaven. And we as believers must confirm him. Specifically, number one, Jesus insists that anyone who is good, as good in quotations, will believe the fullness of who he is. He insists that every true prophet of God 
points us to him. And finally, and most condemningly for the unbelievers, he insists that he is God. Looking at verse um, 49 first, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So what Jesus, what Jesus has done here is he's flipped the script a little bit for these Jews. They had grown up believing that being related to Abraham and keeping the Ten Commandments was the way that they were going to get to God. And now here comes Jesus saying, anyone who keeps my word, anyone who believes in me, is the one who will get eternal life. That would have been very difficult for them at that time to accept because they thought it was about what you do. But if we really understand the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's always been about trusting in God. Remember, God said, the Bible says, Abraham believed God, and God counted him to righteousness. So it was about the faith that Abraham had. And, and, and the reason that Moses was not allowed to see the promised land was because he did not trust in God. I remember a leadership course when I was in college. We, had, we took a ropes course. And what they did was they took us out into the middle of these trees, and they blindfolded us. And they said, fill your way through this maze until you don't feel the rope anymore. And once you don't feel the rope anymore, then you win. You get out of it. And they said, but if you want to give up and raise your hand, we will take you out of the maze. And so we, we were blindfolded and feeling, you know, imagine being in the middle of the woods, people bumping into trees and tripping over stuff, tripping over the ropes, holding on to the ropes. It was hilarious. Um, and I, you know, I'm a proud American, right? And so I, I was blindfolded, and I'm feeling around, and, but I realized quickly I get lost easily. My wife will tell you that if you take me around the corner, I will not be able to find my way back to the church. <laughs> so I realized that, hey, if I can't find my way when I can see, there's no way <laughs> um, that I'm going to find my way. And they kept repeating, if you raise your hand, we will take off your blindfold and lead you out of the course. If you raise your hand, we will take off your blindfold and lead you out of the course. And after I heard about four or five people, I said, you know what, I give up. There's no way. I raised my hand, and they took off my blindfold and led me out of the course. And then I could see all the other people who had not given up as easily falling down and flipping over the rope, and I was laughing at them as well. Um, then I saw the, the, the course. It was a circle. There was no way out. It was rope all around. <laughs> the point was you had to ask for help. That's the point in this life. This life is a circle <laughs> that's filled with trouble and sickness and sin. Only if you will accept the gift that Jesus Christ offers is there any way out. You have to recognize that you're blind, that you cannot see, and raise your hand and say, Jesus, I need you to come and take off my blindfold and lead me out of this. That's what Jesus Christ was offering to them. That's what he insists, that there is only one way. Um, and, and the second thing that Jesus insists we see here from verse 56 is that every true prophet of God points us to him. Verse 56 reads, 
Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. People tried and they still try to pit Jesus against Moses or Jesus against Abraham or Jesus against some other prophet. But Jesus says, I am above them. (laughs) I'm not another prophet who you put next to them in comparison. I am above them is what Jesus is saying here. Just like you have to hope in me, Abraham had to hope in me to receive salvation. So that's what you can say to your friends, no matter what faith they may be. You can say, I'm not here to tell you whether Muhammad or Buddha, whoever it was, was a true prophet. But I can tell you that they're all dead. (laughs) And I can guarantee you that right now they would want you to accept Jesus Christ. No matter where they are, in heaven or in hell, they would want you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because there's always been only one way to salvation. He is the one that Moses was looking for when he said there will be another prophet like me. He is the one that Abraham was looking for to fulfill the promise that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. He is the one that every true prophet of God points to. And we think about some of the key aspects of other faiths. We're often amazed, even as believers, by these other faiths when we look at them. I've heard people say, The reason I'm not a Christian anymore is because I went to Asia and I saw how peaceful the Buddhists were or the wisdom of Confucius or the Muslims. They're devout. They pray five times a day and they dress the way they're supposed to. And sometimes we can even wonder, why don't Christians exhibit these characteristics like these other religions? But the main reason is because we're not pointing people to ourselves. (laughs) We're pointing people to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who is all wise. If you're looking for wisdom, wisdom came down to earth clothed in the body of Jesus Christ. He's the one that brings us true peace. There's no peace as long as there's sin. Jesus cancels out sin. So he's the one that brings true peace. He is the one that brings contentment. When you know that no matter what happens in this world, you have eternal life in Jesus Christ, then you can be content. I think last week it was about not coveting, right? The message was about not coveting. We will always covet as long as we have these sinful bodies, but we can do less when we grasp the reward that we have in Jesus Christ. That's where true contentment lies. Devotion, there is no greater example of devotion than Jesus Christ himself, who laid down his life. He had everything, and he gave up everything so that we who had nothing could have everything with him. Amen? Amen. So, so people will try to pit Jesus against Moses, against Abraham, but Jesus says, they all point to me. They all fall down and worship me. When the last days come, they will be with you, <laughs> worshiping the Lamb of God who was slain. So we must do the same. There's no Jesus versus any other prophet. There's only Jesus. And every true prophet points us to him. Which leads to the last point. What's the logical conclusion then? If Moses was the greatest prophet that ever lived, or Abraham, or whoever you want to say, and they all point to Jesus. No, 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 I thought they all pointed to God. That leads to Jesus' last point and the most offensive thing he says. They ask him. Who do you make yourself out to be? And then in, 
in verse 57, in response to him saying Abraham saw his day, verse 57 says, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus says to them in verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Hallelujah. He says, I am. And so this is a little bit of a mystery, (laughs) but but John is being very explicit here by using the term I am. I even went back and looked at the Greek to make sure. It's I am. <laughs> Abraham, before Abraham was, it's not the same verb as what Jesus says in I am. It's a whole different verb that is used to say before Abraham became, before Abraham existed is what that word means. Before Abraham existed, then Je- he changes. He says I am. And that would have called their mind immediately back to what Moses asked God. Who shall I say sent me? God says, tell them I am sent you. And that's why they pick up stones, because what Jesus claims and what we must believe is that he is God. (laughs) That he is God in the flesh. And if you cannot believe that, then you, along with them, would have to pick up the stones and throw them at him. But there's good news in that. There's good news in the fact that Jesus is the great I am, that he is always is. He has been the eternal savior. What that means is no matter what you're going through, Jesus has always been there. No matter what you've been through, Jesus has always been there. I looked back at my history. I went to Ancestry.com or something, and I wanted to go and trace my history back as far as I can. And I know many of my friends can say, oh, yeah, my family came from Ireland. And they can, tr- they can go and find stories about their ancestors. But my family came here as slaves. And even after slaves, they didn't have full rights. So I could only go back to slavery. And then it disappeared. That can be depressing for you if you don't know Jesus. <laughs> Because what Jesus says is before your family was slaves, I am. Before they captured them and put them on the the ships, I am. So my identity is not in slavery. My identity is in Jesus Christ. My mother died when I was four, but before she died, he is. (laughs) My grandmother died when I was 13, but before she died, he is. Every single step of the way, before I was born, he has been making a way. For my salvation. He has been making a way for eternal glory. And he's making a way for you. If you struggle to believe this gospel. You can look back over your life and know that. From day one. Jesus Christ has been making a way for you. God has had a plan for your salvation. And he's offering you that to accept that today. So we have a choice. Will we fully trust Jesus Christ or not? Will we choose this world's comfort and convenience and popularity? Will we embrace the world's form of Christianity that says, you can believe what you want to believe as long as it doesn't offend me? Will we present Jesus as one option to get to heaven? Or worse, will we present Jesus as one option to get to things on earth like health or prosperity? That's one option. Or, like Christ, when we pick up our cross and follow our Savior and preach the gospel in its full power, when we preach that every person who has ever lived 
deserves condemnation and eternity in hell for their sins. Well, we preach that every single person who is saved was saved only because of the eternal Son of God who came to earth, took the form of a servant, lived a perfect life, and died for our sins. Will we preach that gospel this Thanksgiving? Will we preach that this Christmas? Will we preach that for the rest of our days? I don't know about you, but as for me, I am begging God to give me strength daily to choose him, to choose Jesus. I'm begging him that I will be able to sing with the songwriter, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Preach the good news, Brigham City. Tell the good news. The world needs to hear about this good news. There are people dying every day. There is so much suffering. Ten-year-olds are suffering because they don't believe that they are loved. They need to know about the love of Jesus Christ, who is and who always has been working for their salvation. The good news says that if you will trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. He will direct your path through Jesus Christ. May the Lord have a blessing on the hearers, readers, and doers of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this message. We thank you, God, that before Abraham was, (laughs) you are. We thank you for the lamb who was slain. He is worthy to receive honor and blessing and power and glory. We pray, God, that as we go out today, that we would dedicate our lives to sharing this gospel, to living this gospel, that your Holy Spirit would indwell us. God, that we would point a dying world to the only way to salvation. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us for the times that we did not share the gospel in full. Forgive us for for covering up or sugarcoating the gospel. Forgive us for participating in those that tear down the church of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father to live out this gospel, to believe this gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.